I V M. Folks, welcome to Paisa Paisa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter, and my guest today is Samir Kaul, MD and CEO, Trust Builders Wealth. We are talking about market outlook across equity, debt, asset allocation ideas, how the HNIs invest, and much more. Right after this short break. And welcome back, Samir. Welcome to Paisa Paisa. Thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. Thank you for having me, Anupam. Great to have you here, Samir. Can we just, you know, we've had Trust Mutual Fund back in October 2021, and at that point in time, there was Sandeep Bagla. He was talking about the debt product. Can you tell us something about Trust Pluto's wealth and probably the Trust Group and you know the entire structure? Yeah, so Trust Pluto's Anupam was started in 2010. I think the whole idea was to uh, set up a wealth management practice which puts the client interest first. And over the years, we've evolved from being a pure distribution business. Business to getting into investment advisory. Now also getting into manufacturing our own products. We've just kind of launched our first AIF. We've gone into international investing. So I think we have a full suite of offering as far as Trust Pluto's is concerned. The group has more diversified interests, including like you mentioned, the Trust Mutual Fund, which is asset management. We actually also have a AIF Category Two license, and we of course have a we have a debt distribution business, which is of the original business for the group. So I think across debt capital markets, equity capital markets, asset management and wealth management i think that those are the pillars of of the trust group as far as our practice in india is concerned yeah and trust pluto's itself is how old i mean so i think it's 12 years now 12 years yeah and you've got like i believe you got a book of about 11500 crores now almost 13000 with right. 500 families we have 75 people who work with us across 10 cities in india wow i want to start from there the family part right because you're a career city bank i mean you were in city for i think for 23 years for yeah. 23 years you looked at private wealth hnis and now you've been doing a lot of work in trust pluto's how has hni investing evolved over the past decade you know i'm talking not just of the last 2 3 years but i'm talking about over longer periods of time well i was fortunate to see the birth of the mutual fund uh, industry in india i think in 1995 people who were largely fixed deposit investors i think uti was the or us 64 was the only investment product so as to speak and that also people thought was like a guaranteed return product so i think from 1995 when the private sector took off in the mutual fund industry in india i think it's evolved significantly i think from mutual funds to pms to aif to startups to international investing to etfs to structured credit uh, to venture debt i think the hni the offering has evolved significantly i would still say that uh, in the in a platform or legal vehicle sense a lot of the flow still goes on to the mutual fund side partly because of the you know tax benefits available to investors especially on the fixed income side but i think now the pms industry the aif industry has evolved significantly i think the product set including pre ipos you know structured credit venture debt all of that has added to the you know kind of suite of products which are available for hnis in india so how do hnis approach the investment i mean are they also like retail investors and they just concerned with rate of return on their portfolio or are you know is it is no it i think well we would like them to approach their portfolio looking at their uh, asset allocation and then looking at product selection thereafter i would say that there is no one size fits all uh, some people are more conservative and they would like to only do mutual funds for example many people are more broad based they are willing to try different asset classes and different uh, products so it's difficult to kind of say that there's a one size fits all approach but i would still say that bulk of the investors in, that i see in india are fairly conservative in their approach i think when the markets are bullish everybody thinks the returns are guaranteed when the returns are good everybody is happy suddenly the markets take a turn people ask the question saying this was supposed to be x how come 
it's much lower than that so that's been the nature of the beast but that's also part of our responsibility to educate people about uh, investing in india yeah what's the asset breakdown like i mean is the largest portion still mutual funds or now it's pms then ai well then the industry them? is a uh, is largely mutual funds right i mean while the pms and aif assets have grown but compared to the size of the mutual fund industry they're still small so, okay. so that's the way the industry is yeah so one trend which happened i think around about Three years ago, when the lockdown was at its, you know, had just started, one trend that we saw, and I've had guests on the show talk about this about how H and I have moved from mutual funds to. PMS you know, saying that we need more personalized service. I don't know whether that also means they're willing to take high risks. Do you think that you know how is the trend shaping out? Is it done and dusted? And well, I think that uh, people started looking at PMS because PMS could do what the mutual fund could not do. You could take more concentrated positions. People thought it was a more personalized portfolio. I feel now it's increasingly become more commoditized. I think people are now saying that listen, wherever I get a better return, if the mutual fund works, then it works. Uh, it may sound like a very retail kind of an offering but if it delivers you know why not so i don't think that um, you can just say that the trend is very much in favor of pms and aif but i think there are certain strategies that you can only do in the aif so i think that business will continue to grow but i would still believe that the dominant vehicle in india would largely remain funds because on the fixed income side there is so much of tax benefit that the investor gets being in a mutual fund that is difficult to look at any other you know non mutual fund uh, vehicle yeah how is the role of a pms fund manager evolved you know because the job of a mutual fund manager and a pms fund manager are a little bit different you know do you think that the pms product per se in the last 2 or 3 years has actually evolved to a changing need of the investor or are they pretty much the same you have a philosophy you just invest and that's just about it well if you ask me today a lot of the pms fund managers probably are more known they are more they have a public face the mutual fund guys are probably uh, you know sitting behind their desk but i feel this is a function of the way the market is in a bull market all the managers are coming on cnbc talking about how their funds are doing and how much return they are generating suddenly the market turns everybody goes into a shell so i don't necessarily think that people should look at personalities when they make investments i think they should look at the framework for each of the categories of vehicles and then make a decision in terms of which one works better for them yeah it's very interesting because ultimately you know sometimes i wonder it looks a lot like bollywood because it's a star fund manager star performers the personality tends to get a lot of um focus and also probably thanks to social media also this has come up i don't know what's been your experience well as much as the disclaimer says that past performance is huh. no indication of future i think the investors and in sometimes even the managers believe that listen past performance is all that matters because when past performance is good they are talking about their performance when the performance is not good then everybody goes in the shell i really think that the time to be out there is when the performance is not coming through what are the reasons behind it and i think we have seen since october 21 that the market is you know kind of in a range and in my personal view that is very much uh, par for the course because you had such a huge jump mm. between april 2020 and october 2021 so if i always think that in india what happens is you suddenly get such huge gains in a short period of time that then it's inevitable that it's it's difficult for the earnings growth to catch up with the kind of valuation yeah. so right now is there is a time correction that's happening which which is the reason you will see the market in my view being fairly range bound yeah what's your outlook on the wealth industry per se going forward from here do you think you know as the economy grows you'll 
actually see even better growth out here or how do you see this in the next say, three or five years see we are quite bullish as far as the industry is concerned it is fairly fragmented well what is happening actually is from the outside people think it's a very attractive industry i also think that the barriers to entry in some cases is low people think okay i'll set up an office i'll hire a few people i'll basically do it but it's a game of patience perseverance uh, long term commitment because now with the change regulations with the change fee structures uh, especially with the new regulations that sebi is now proposing even on the aif it will take some time before we find profitability in these kind of uh, ventures right so only people who have deep pockets or and or commitment to this kind of a business will basically stay so there is opportunity i think everybody thinks that you know they can just get in and be a wealth manager i think there could be consolidation we have seen one or two waves of consolidation but uh, the opportunity is massive like even today at 13000 we have barely scratched the surface so we think from 25 30 bankers we can easily go to 100 bankers in the next few years but it has to be a measured you know expansion because the economics in the industry is not always you know helpful from the point of view of the uh, of the firm that is running the business and i keep saying that india remains a market where the revenues are like a developing market the expenses are like a developed market huh. right so that always creates this di- dichotomy that people say okay you pay me like a developed market banker but i will only bring you productivity which is like a developing market very interesting way to put it let's say i have an hni you know high net worth individual who's listening to this episode reaches out to trust plutus and you know he has a very simple question help me choose you know i have funds and i would like to sign you on as as my advisor what would be your advice to him today or what would that process look like and what would be your eventual advice so i think the process is kind of time tested i mean you always kind of profile somebody then you essentially base bases their profile do an asset allocation then do the product selection make recommendations what is important i think we tell people is that there is no get rich quick kind of a scheme and i think we have to tell people that if you really believe that this is patient capital which you are building for the long term then you have to kind of walk the talk you cannot look at the nav every day and start calling us saying listen what happened it went up went down so i think that is what is important that's part of the education but we do believe very strongly that you profile somebody you do the asset allocation you select the best products and let the portfolio you know play out over a period of time only if there is something seriously wrong with the manager there is a churn at the manager or there is some you know change is happening change in control is happening then we should make changes otherwise you stick with it and essentially let the portfolio perform over a period of time because i have now seen in the last few years that the equity markets have become very cyclical in india right so there are periods of very high growth and then there are periods of you know moderate kind of a growth so you have to be patient because what happened in 2021 will not get repeated in 22 maybe 23 who knows you know how long this will go so i think people have to be patient now the challenge with the indian investor is that everybody says okay i have a long term focus but every day they will call us and say <laughs> listen what do you think about my portfolio so we have to balance things out yeah let me try this in, in another way what would be your checklist of questions that someone should keep in mind when he's choosing an advisor you know range of products quality of advice stuff like that what should he be looking out for no i think that it's important to look at what is the experience of the team uh, you have to look at uh, what is the vintage the continuity in the existing organization i think now the range of products pretty much everybody has a full range to offer and i think it's very difficult to gauge upfront but it's only through experience that you eventually 
gain in this business that who brings the maximum integrity and transparency to the table and that is what we tell people that when we are thinking of building a intergenerational business in trust pluters that this is a cornerstone of building that business so there is like i said no quick way to get rich for the investor and there is no quick way for us to be successful you have to kind of you know play it out and that means you have to be transparent right you have to be always if there's a mistake you make you have to raise your hand so i think these things people will experience and that is why we tell people that listen do reference checks right talk to people uh, who may have dealt with a particular advisor and then make a final decision in terms of what you want to do i like these two models that have come up in the wealth and i mean you know so there is of course the asset the aum model which is you sign up as many clients and then you grow your book that and there's the other which i just picked up from what you said intergenerational can you talk to us about that because i think that probably sounds like a newer idea in india for family offices especially that if you're looking at a relationship that spans whatever 30 40 years is still a new concept in india you think that is actually you know a deeper way to grow business and to have relationships of course well in a certain segment that is the only way to grow um, and i think what we haven't seen because the wealth industry in india probably is like 20 years old right but when you look at people who have been working in developed markets in the same business you see that a banker is always a banker and he or she will remain a banker till they retire right now when you start having that kind of longevity especially in a particular organization and then deep relationships with a few families what happens is that over a period of time the size of your business grows so then what happens is that you either manage fewer clients or you have a team supporting you but effectively there is a connect across different sets of families and because you are managing the same family for 20 30 40 years the next generation and the next generation that's how you basically build an association now that is what hopefully india will also see in the years ahead because we don't yet have that kind of vintage yeah. in india but probably in the next 10 15 years like our desire is that today we bank a particular family 20 years down the line we would like to retain the privilege to be able to bank that family right and that is what we mean by building an inter- intergenerational business yeah reminds me a lot of doctors and lawyers right? i mean families who know a certain doctor you don't yeah. over a period of time okay folks we're going to take a small break out here on the other side of course we'll get sami's view on the markets equity debt and much more right after this short break and welcome back okay so me let's get into the outlook now what's your outlook um, for the equity markets like you said we've had this kind of sideways movement for quite some time you just if you can please talk to us about the indian equity markets and i believe you'll have some view on international markets as well because some of your clients would be interested so domestic and global so i think since 2022 actually we've been conservative i think when we started our outlook in 2022 we spoke about it being a range bound market that's the way the market panned out last year and i think similarly this year actually if you look at it the nifty 50 is not the right barometer to see what's happening in the indian market because the nifty is held up by two or three kind of uh, large sectors but if you go below that you've seen a lot of pain that's already happened as far as correction is concerned and that pain was inevitable because stocks had run up uh, far ahead of what the what the reality is in terms of the ability of the company to generate earnings mm. so even today on a relative and absolute basis the way at least we look at the indian market we think it's still slightly expensive right we think it will still go through a time correction and then at some point in time you will start to see growth coming back so i think it will grow but it will grow much more slowly than what it has done in the past one of the factors really is also what's happening with rates because both in india as well as in the us now you see rates actually moving up significantly so fixed income is an alternative today in india for example you can get 7 7 quarter doing fixed income without taking too much of risk so your risk free rate or your opportunity cost has gone up significantly the cost of capital has also gone up now 
now that together with slowing or slow earnings growth means that you cannot now you know have 20 times 25 times 30 times multiple that multiple should come down so that's part of the re-rating that's part of the time correction that you see onshore the same thing has happened dramatically offshore last year it continues to happen this year our view on the in the us market is that you may see a correction in the s&p to 3600 levels and then in the view at the beginning of the year was that at some point in time there will be a fed pivot in favor of lower rates the way things are going right now it doesn't seem like the lower rates will happen this year right because inflation continues to be a problem in fact for the next few months you will start to see rates going higher so the question is how high is high what's the terminal rate is it 5 quarter 5 and a half closer to 6% because depending on the terminal rate you will basically see the price earnings ratio getting reset so i think that this is going to be a difficult year both uh, locally as well as in the us the good news is fixed income becomes uh, very appealing now both domestically and internationally but we'll have to be patient on the equity side to see returns yeah let's talk about the fixed income side right because every time um you have conversations you know you're looking at something as 7% and two weeks later it's 7.15% or 7.5% and i think today I read about a bond from HDFC by the way which is at 7.97% you know about 10 year bond so what's your view out there is this a good time to lock into these products or maybe there's still some room to play i think there is still some room for rates to go a bit higher i think that uh, you have the repo now at 6.5% you have the 10 year at almost uh, 7.5% but uh, hopefully what the view in the market is that after maybe another hike uh, the RBI will kind of uh, you know not uh, raise rates beyond that Uh, so it may not be a bad idea to allocate part of your money and lock into you know rates which are available i think in the next few days or few weeks you will see another category come back which used to be highly uh, prevalent earlier called fixed maturity plans fmps yeah, yeah. Uh, because now people think that they can probably get the benefit of indexation and lock into good yields because uh, post the budget now market linked debentures are no longer a compelling investment uh, instrument right so i it's a good idea to be able to use products like an fmp to lock in Uh, returns we also within our stable we have a corporate bond fund which basically doesn't play credit but it basically plays rates uh, and we are trying to see how we can uh, you know get people to invest in that fund and at some time some point in time we will take a view on duration if we think the rates are going to come off so fixed income yes to your point uh, is very compelling today uh, i think equity now is less compelling at this point in time but all of this is a, it's a question of at a point in time you know things change I think after a few months, people will realize that for two years, maybe I haven't got a return in equity. And uh, if the rate cycle starts to turn, then probably you will see more momentum on the equity side. I want to talk a little bit about the debt part on products because the you know 20 years ago, I'm sure you would have seen that there weren't so many products on the debt side. You just had FDs and you had mutual funds and mutual fund awareness on debt also was not that high. Today, there's a whole plethora. The RBI has opened up a window for people to buy GSEX directly. You have a lot of startups who apparently are giving some you know structure. debt so what's your view on the range of products and what's generally your advice to people out here i think your point is very valid i think today when you see that with fixed income the challenge is not just the product the challenge is also the tax efficiency so today if you start off i think when you invest in a reit or a invit uh, i think those are good products to get into because you can get close to 6% uh, on a post tax basis then of course you have the full mutual fund category uh, once you go beyond mutual funds then you start looking at some of these absolute return strategies like the one we are doing through our aif where the endeavor is to probably get to about 9% on a post fee post tax basis and then of course you have uh, structured credit and you have venture debt right so depending on your risk profile from 6% 
10% to maybe 10, 11%, you now have a plethora of products. I think people with a certain risk appetite should endeavor to invest across these ideas uh, because they are differentiated. They are not necessarily correlated. Uh, but people who are fairly conservative, they will be happy with the 6 and 7% that they can get investing in a REIT or in largely investing in mutual funds. Yeah. You spoke about venture debt, so I have to ask about startups. What's happening out there? Because I'm sure that you have that product as well for some of your probably sophisticated investors who want to take that level of risk. What's it? Because there's this whole you know freeze happening in funding. I don't know whether it's happened or not. And what's your view out there? See, I think what happens is that the media tends to kind of uh, inflate the story and deflate the story, right? So I think like in rest of the world, you will probably have in every sector a few companies that will do very well and many companies who will probably just perish, right? So the the idea is that we should identify names that can go on to become you know relevant names in their particular uh, you know industry or in, in the particular category so far i would say at least from within trust pluto's side uh, we probably haven't done as much as we can on the uh, startup side i think the startup funds are a good way for investors to invest because the manager does the diligence i think one of the large uh, fund houses hdfc is basically launching a fund of funds which will invest across uh, uh, many different marquee managers and they will do the diligence and make sure that the investor doesn't have to spend time. So I think these are good ideas for investors to invest into uh, as far as the startup or the uh, pre-IPO kind of uh, you know category is concerned. But like it always is, right? There is always exuberance and you have to stay away from what you think is purely exuberance and with little content. And that is what has been our advice. For example, when all these IPOs happened of the new age companies, people said, listen, now this is the future. We did not advise any of our clients to invest a single rupee. And because of the fact that we were not confident that there is a business model that will basically result in profitability. And if you don't have profitability, very difficult to justify these kind of valuations. So we are conservative, mm. but it doesn't mean that people should not invest. People continue to invest in startups. Uh, like I said, the fund structure is always better for most people who don't have the time to do their own diligence. Yeah, You spoke about exuberance. But I want to ask you one question. You have a lot of clients who are probably business owners themselves, you know, SMEs or even bigger uh, family offices. And there is a lot of exuberance around India. If you just take two steps back from the stock market, where of course the sentiment is very different, that's fine. But if you look at this entire story that's building up on India, fastest growing economy in the world, one and a half billion population, etc, etc. What is the reality on the ground? You know, when you have conversations with your clients, what is their view? Is that optimism there, that exuberance still there or is it more mixed? No, I think, well, it, it's difficult to answer your question in a very generic way, but I would just just say that most of the people who we meet are optimistic because there is no way that you should not be optimistic given the fact that you have a large population and you have low penetration across most categories. The question is that how far are you running with that optimism and then what kind of valuation are you uh, attaching to a particular investment opportunity. Now, if I tell you that this piece of land where we are sitting is worth a billion dollars, right? Now, it may be worth 10% of it. So, we are both optimistic because, you know, we think it's a great location. The question is, you know, how what is the value that each person assigns to it? So, I feel India will continue to be a very important market for capital to be allocated. I think the whole Indian entrepreneur ecosystem is very strong. The opportunity is there. You know, you asked me earlier about the wealth business. We are, we are optimistic. We want to invest. Similarly, if you ask entrepreneurs across industries, they will be optimistic. But the important thing 
thing is that you have to always tone down your expectations in terms of how much growth you can get and then what is the cost of that growth and you have to kind of moderate your expectations accordingly. When the rest of the world is not going to grow much, even if you grow 6%, it's not bad. Yeah. I mean, we probably should be growing at eight nine percent to you know justify you know the aspiration of the population, but still on a relative basis. And today, when you think about India and the rest of the world, right, uh, the fact that there is so much of opportunity and there is a target market and there is under penetration, I don't think that story really exists anywhere else. When you start looking from Australia all the way to the US, I mean, banks in the US, for example, are growing their book at one percent, mm-hmm. right? Here, large banks are growing their profit at eighteen percent. So, I mean, that is the big difference. Yeah, I you know you spoke about real estate, so I kind of I just realized I missed on that. We spoke about equity, we spoke about debt. What about real estate? What what are you telling your clients there? See, real estate again is a very location specific, client specific discussion. I think that it's again a very investable asset class. People have had mixed a kind of success with the asset class, but that's true for equity. That's true yeah. for other asset classes also. As long as you are able to do your diligence, uh, you are able to control the transaction. We think our success rate actually in the last 4-5 years has been very good and I would assume that's the case with many other managers who learned a tough lesson prior to 2019 and now have tweaked the way that they basically invest in real estate. So there is a space for real estate. It may not be available, uh, it may not be appropriate in every portfolio but for people who are wanting to take higher risk, they're willing to stay illiquid for a longer tenor uh, and they want higher return, I think real estate is also a good asset class. Yeah, REITs? Yeah, REITs is more of a retail product. Yeah. It's not really... Uh, and the other challenge with REITs is that the volume on the exchange is not uh, large enough. But uh, we have always been educating our investors to look at the REIT. Uh, it's a very good uh, investment avenue. I think the government has also helped in terms of making the dividends from the REIT uh, tax exempt. It's a good asset to kind of uh, invest and people are investing. People have invested. Sure. And now, my favorite part of the episode as always, for my guests, anything good that you're reading, any books, anything or, on OTT that you're watching, any content recommendations from your side? No, I would say that I like to read uh, books which are largely in the investment uh, arena. So I think Psychology of Money has been a very popular book that people should be reading. Uh, I think books by either Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger are again good books to read because I think they basically share their practical experience in a very, very simple way. So I would recommend some of these uh, books to, to people who are watching. And that is a wrap on this episode of Pesa Pesa. My guest Samir Kaul, MD and CEO Trust Plutus Wealth. Samir, thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks. And listeners, if you like this podcast, please do become a Club Pesa Pesa subscriber. You get full archive access. Samir just spoke about Morgan Housel. We had him on our podcast back in 2019. If you're a Club Pesa Pesa member, you get full access to the archives. You get early access to episodes, ad-free experience, and of course, bonus content in the form of my own insights on each episode. And that's $6.99 per year for an introductory offer. And of course, you can check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM Network. You can listen to us on the IVM Podcast app or ibmpodcast.com you can also follow us on our social media we are IBM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and if you want to reach out to me folks I'm your host Anupam Gupta B50 on Twitter really thank you so much for listening to Paisa Paisa No material on the show should be considered as financial advice the material on the show is for informational purposes only please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision